right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of just gathering together on an evening like this, Father, to fellowship in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this opportunity, Father. Thank you for keeping the doors of this building open. Thank you for the peace and the quiet you've set before us to do this thing that really does matter most, that is to dine on the very bread of life, the Word of God, Father. What a privilege this is. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us, that earnestly desire to be here, but for a variety of reasons cannot be. We just pray that you heal them and comfort them and bring them back in your good timing. We also pray for those, Father, that are still lost in this world without hope that you humble them before it's too late, that we might have additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make a night like this one a time to rejoice. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, life is good because God says so. I'm, I'm absolutely just adoring this uh, mini-series. Really, we haven't left our last series, which is The Lord is Our Confidence. This was just sort of something that precipitated out of uh, a, a message, what, four or five um, messages ago. And uh, I, for one, am very grateful for the Spirit giving it to us. I do want to share another email with you, this time from Australia. Uh, this particular gentleman has been supporting this ministry for years. Uh, so hopefully you are encouraged by his words. Dear Pastor Ed, uh, it has been a while since I last contacted you, and certain, I certainly hope that all is well. Uh, listening to what the Spirit has been saying in the lessons of late, I can see that it is the season of encouragement once more. It was encouragement that led me to reach out to you the first time, and it is encouragement that leads me again. I also wanted to take some time to say how comforting it has been to hear how humility, obedience, peace, Christ's confidence, and finally love have all been sewn together in the current series. I thank you for your dedication and also the Lord for revealing the seamlessness of his truth. Truly amazing, and although I struggle, I know the truth is always there and pray that God will continue with his work of sanctification Mate, he's Australian, he says, mate, comma, my sincere thanks and gratitude goes out to you while I thank the Lord for the continued devotion that you have to serving God. My, or may familiarity never get in the way of the realization that your work is truly a blessing we all benefit from. It is also just another reason among many as to why life is Good. Take care and thank you. And his name is Rob, and he's from Australia. Isn't that cool? Very cool. Anyways, my hope is that you are all encouraged by my sharing such things uh, with you. So changing gears, I'm thinking this will be our final installment of Life is Good Because God Says So. Um, I'm not going to be here the next two uh, messages. Scott will be covering me uh, Sunday and Thursday and teaching on eternal security, which is going to be awesome. Uh, just another proof point to say life is good, right? I mean, eternal security. So that'll be exciting to see as well. Um, let's see if the Spirit wants us to finish this up um, uh, this evening, which is what I intend to do, but you know how that goes. Uh, he'd probably come back in three lessons and be like, Yep. Here's how this all started. I'll go quickly because these are all points of review. Uh, life is good. This is not conjecture. It's a fact. It's not an emotion. It's a fact. You may have an emotional response to the fact, but nonetheless, it is a fact. Why? 
because God says so. He is the theological underpinning that we've seen on the topic that life is good. Since God is good and God is eternal life, then the life that God has is good. This is the same life we are given at salvation. It's called eternal life, and wow, it's good. He has the supporting cast, if you would. Life is good because we have the grace gift of obedience. Life is good because we have the grace gift of obedience. I could keep going. I'm almost tempted to go on again, but I'm going to refrain. Obedience has really, it's almost as if, look, I'm doing it anyways. It's almost as if the Spirit won't let us go from any series without talking about obedience. Have you noticed? doesn't matter what we're talking about. The insidiousness of sin or the Lord is our confidence doesn't matter what we're talking about. Life is good. Obedience. If you want these things, if you want to understand the Word of God, if you want to be sanctified by truth, you have to obey. And it's not an adolescent response. It's not, oh, here we go again with the commands. Oh, here we go. Let's get oppressive, religious, and being our religious and adolescent. That is not it. Hopefully by now you truly understand that being given this grace gift called obedience is such a blessing. Having commands to even follow. Where would you be even today if you didn't know what to do? If there wasn't the Word of God instructing you on life itself, where would you be? You'd probably be listening to Oprah or Dr. Phil. Oh, now there's some good advice. Terrible, terrible, terrible advice. Everything we need is right here. Isn't that the point? Amen? Yeah, everything we need is right here in the Bible. Okay, so I'm so glad I didn't take the bait and run with that. To drive this home, we've been given this up here on the board. Obedience is a grace gift. By grace, God has given us commandments in the spiritual energy to obey them. Obedience is a blessing meant to sanctify us. The more we understand this, the more we rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Allah, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. All these things, rejoice, pray, and give thanks that life is good. On Sunday, I gave you a little insight into who it is that opposes our sanctification. Because to arrive at a point where you truly realize this fact that life is good is tantamount to being sanctified. It's the same. In other words, when you're sanctified, the more you're sanctified, it's a progression, right? The more you're sanctified, the more you realize that life is good. But I gave you a little insight into who it is that opposes our sanctification. It is none other than Satan himself, the, quote, God of this world, according to Holy Scripture. As we learned on Sunday, the God of this age. Go to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. God of this world, God of this age. This is the one, this is the, you know, the primary enemy, if you would, if, uh, in this world that's antagonistic to God. And he has been given certain, uh, let's call it control, in time. Second Corinthians 4, verse 4. <clears throat> in their case, the God of this world, verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And I gave you that Greek word aeon, for world, up here on the board. It actually means an age, a cycle of time, especially of the present age as contrasted with the future age uh, and of one of a series of ages stretching to infinity, according to Strong's. Uh, that's aeon, that's world. So in other words, we could translate this as age, the God of this age. And that gives us a different coloring, doesn't it? It's not just the God of this world, it's the God of this age. It's this time that we're in. It's not going to last forever, in other words. In other words, uh, God, the Creator, 
and holy God of the universe has given Satan a, a time to rule earth. But it has a definite end. That's the point. That's what we glean out of Aeon here in context. Uh, he's, he's got a time, but it ends. As many of you know, we are a part of what happens, or excuse me, appears to be an experiment of sorts. We'll call it an experiment or a showcase for all the angels to witness. I mean, why did God, in other words, give Satan this sort of reign over earth? Because it's an experiment. God is showing uh, not just us, but even the angels who rubberneck to see what's going on, um, to show us all his grace and to reveal to all of us, even, um, even to the fallen angels, that Satan is wrong. Um, and so we're, we, we believers who live by grace, we're an indictment on Satan himself. And that's part of what's going on. Uh, in brief, we might think of God as putting we humans up on display so that his grace can be highlighted in human history, either as an indictment to the fallen angels or an affirmation to the ones who stuck with God when Satan swept away one-third of them in Revelation 12.4. Once Satan's time is done, remember he's the God of this world or age, once his time is done, that's it. The experiment, if you want to call it that. I don't like to con add too much conjecture. Some people have gone on and on. All oh, the angelic conflict and all this stuff. They go on and make all these crazy uh, things about stuff that's not even in the Bible. Uh, but we'll call it an experiment. Once the experiment's over, that's it. And here's the, the beautiful thing about our attitude that life is good, is that we already know the outcome, and we already know the victor. And incredibly, as believers, we already know that we too are victors with Christ Jesus. Life is good. Just knowing that, that you're a co-victor, with the one who's already beaten everything there is to be beaten. You're co-victor. Is that not enough to say life is good? It's a foregone conclusion, in other words. Remember God's perspective? We're, we're bound by the construct of time. From God's perspective, this is already done. It's already panned out. It's over. Done. And we, he wants to give us this perspective to be set free by, to be sanctified by. And that when we have that perspective... That's a, a primary source of this attitude that life is good. So the Spirit also gave us a good reminder of the insidiousness of the kingdom of darkness. And that the God of this world slash age has zero, count them, zero scruples. None. Don't ever be surprised at the types of things that you will be faced with. That's what the Bible tells us. Don't ever be surprised. The God of this world, the God of this age, has zero scruples. I was having a discussion with someone recently about where they find their encouragement. I'm always interested uh, in that thing. Where do you find your encouragement? Um, and not surprisingly, knowing this person, this person claims to be thoroughly encouraged by an unbeliever. So, put that into perspective. This person claims they're a believer, and yet they're thoroughly encouraged by an unbeliever. So concentrate. Ask yourselves one question. Are we supposed to be encouraged by unbelievers? Good question, isn't it? Are we supposed to take and seek and receive encouragement from unbelievers? about the fact that we might be, you know, quote, encouraged by things like, well, there's less crime happening in this or that part of the world. Is that encouragement? I guess, I guess that's encouraging, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that kind of encouragement. I'm not talking about institutionalized issues that we happen to be glad about, like, you know, less murder. Um, and just as a side note, though, in all fairness to whatever semblance remains in this world, we must give thanks to God for that, too. 
Theologically, we call this the restraining ministry of God the Holy Spirit. If there wasn't the restraining ministry of God, in other words, not only does Satan have a, a finite end to his, his reign, there are also the boundary conditions. God does, just like we saw with Job, he doesn't just do anything. He doesn't just get to go out and like, you know, just sw- sw- you know, clean sweep the, the world. There's the restraining ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, that's active, even in the world right now. What this means biblically is that the Holy Spirit keeps Satan and the kingdom of darkness in check the way God did with Satan even in the book of Job. You can do whatever you want, just not this thing. You can do whatever you want, just not this thing. Uh, We have the restraining ministry of God the Holy Spirit to thank for that. In other words, Satan's so-called rule over this world has limitations, and thank God for that. Uh, Here's some Holy Scripture to amplify that point up here on the board. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6-7. And you know what is restraining him. The Antichrist is actually in view now, so that he may be revealed in this time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, the Holy Spirit, who now restrains it, will do so until the Antichrist is out of the way. All right. Back to the question. That was just a side note, that there's a thing called the restraining ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, in this world. And we have every thing to be thankful for. All right, back to the question. Are we supposed to be encouraged by unbelievers? Are we supposed to be encouraged uh, by unbelievers? Well, let's look at what the Bible has to say about this. And I want to remind you of a verse we read on Sunday together to get you rightly oriented. Up here on the board, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. This is very important advice for we believers. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. I mean, your your life is good attitude depends on this. This is why we're here. This is why the spirit's bringing this up. Test the spirits. Because you could put your own happiness, your own contentment, your own good attitude about life at risk, in jeopardy. If you don't, if you become you know, complacent or lazy or like this person I was describing, saying that they're thoroughly encouraged by an unbeliever. Many false prophets have gone into this world. Into this world. So it's important that you understand what the Spirit's saying, and that's our baseline this evening. I'm going to give you some of the best advice I can possibly give you on this topic, so please listen up. On the topic of test the spirits, some might ask, well, how do I do that? Sounds like a great idea. How do I do that? Well, for starters, see if what this spirit in view, I'm not saying it's good or bad spirit, just you're going to test the spirits, right? See if what the Spirit is saying is appealing to your flesh or God's will. It's imperative you assess this honestly. If the answer is my flesh, then you know it cannot be from God. What is it that's appealing to you? Is this Spirit spirit purposely appealing to the weaknesses of your flesh? In other words... (laughs) You know, when you pick up the phone, you're like, ah, this is, my, this is my favorite unbeliever that encourages me. Hey, do you think I'm wrong doing this? Not at all. You're such a swell guy. I love you so much. I'm your biggest fan. That's what I thought. Thank you. See, I'm encouraged. I feel so good about myself right now. What happened in that scenario? I don't need to spell it out, do I? If you're just looking for somebody to build up your flesh, in other words... Satan will send someone right your way. The kingdom of darkness will serve someone right up on a silver platter. Yep. Oh, this is what you're looking for? Yep. Oh, thank you so much. Did I ever tell you how much I love you? Did I ever tell you how encouraging you are to me? I don't, I don't even care that you, you're giving me crap. That you're adding garbage to my soul. Just tell me nice things. 
just pat me on the back and say, oh, you're doing great. You're such a swell guy. You're such a swell gal. That's not encouragement. That's destructive behavior. That's destruction. That's a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Hmm. Remember who has zero scruples? I think it's beneath anyone that's under the power of the God of this age to play that kind of trick on you? How do I do that? Well, for starters, see if what the Spirit is saying is appealing to your flesh or God's will. It's imperative that you assess this honestly. If the answer is my flesh, then you know it cannot be from God. God will never do that to you. God doesn't tempt our flesh into awfulness. As I mentioned on Sunday, just because someone says they are speaking on behalf of the Lord God doesn't mean they are. Remember the demon-possessed girl? Well, if you didn't, if you were sleeping on Sunday. <laughs> Here we go. Acts 16, 16 to 17. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owner's much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, and she said something that's totally true. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That is literally truth. But she was demon-possessed, so what did Paul do? Get out of her. I don't want your testimony. I don't need your testimony. Because behind it is something grotesque. Who's to say it wasn't even just to better their uh, financial situation? To garner some more attention? You don't know what's going on. Evil comes in all kinds of shades. So again, our first question is, are we supposed to be encouraged by unbelievers? Well, apparently Paul wasn't so encouraged by a demon-possessed girl who was literally speaking the truth. The second question is, are we to accept the testimony of evil spirits? Well, Paul didn't. Should we? Are we to accept the testimony of evil spirits? The answer is no. The answer is no. Let me wrap both of these questions up into a single thought for you up here on the board on testing the spirits. If unbelievers are inherently evil, should we, quote, buy into anything they are saying? Seriously, should we buy into anything that they're saying? Should we take their testimony as gold? But they're saying all the right things. So, how about the believer analog? Namely, someone dissipated of the spirit. You're going to call up your drunk friend and get advice? You know what you're going to get? The human flesh. You really want to talk to a drunk person and get advice from a drunk? No, better yet, why don't you go drinking with a drunk person. You both can get drunk, and you both can call each other, drunk dial each other after you get back home. Hopefully you haven't killed anybody on the road. You both can drunk dial each other and say, you're, you, you're the best. You're the best. I love you. So encouraged by you. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. That sounds like a great idea. I've heard... Fools say they've. <laughs> I'm not even going to say it. I'm not going to say it because I'm going to go off and out and keep going. But how about the believer analog, namely someone dissipated of the spirit, who's basically in the flesh? Then, what if they say? What if what what they say is actually true? Allah, Acts 16, 16 to 17. So, ask yourselves, um, what's the best way to manipulate someone? You gain their trust, right? You don't just come up to you don't just go up to a stranger and go, "Hey, listen to me. Buy my knife set." Is that what you used to sell, Scott? Yep. Buy my knife set. That's how Scott used to sell. That's why he doesn't sell knives anymore. Right? You know what I'm saying, right? You don't do that. You don't say, "Listen to me," to a pure stranger. No one listens to you until what? They trust you. Right? 
So if you're smart like Satan, you say, we can't just hit him straight on. We've got to butter him up for a little bit. We've got to tell him a few good things. You know, engender trust. We've got to do that thing. Then, once we have them, then we can manipulate them. That's why you don't listen to them. You don't spend any time with them that way. You don't take encouragement from an unbeliever. What is it that they're going to tell you? That you can't, first of all, read here, and second of all, get from someone who actually is a believer, who actually does care about Christ, who actually is filled with the Spirit. You don't need that kind of anything from someone like that. That's what the Spirit's saying. In other words, you've got to even look at the long-term effect of some of your relationships. Because those are the things that will take you away from a good attitude about life itself. That's what he's saying. Test the spirits. Make sure you're not going to get dragged away. So the best way to manipulate someone is to gain their trust. Really good manipulators will spend long periods of time saying all the things that lead you to trust them. To trust that they have no ill intentions towards you or Christ. Sin is patient. Yep. You know who's been around a lot longer than you? The fallen angels. They got all the time in the world to tempt you. I know I'm personifying sin again like I did in our series titled The Deceitfulness of Sin, but I hope, I hope you understand what I'm trying to convey. I'm not teaching you that you should walk around paranoid about such things, but I'm not teaching you that you shouldn't be either. In other words, complacency and laziness is what kills us. Why do you think a while ago, I, I literally taught, I think it was a few messages and maybe a blog, on the general concept and habit of fitness. Why do you think the Spirit had me teach multiple messages on the topic of fitness? I'm not talking about, you know, the gym even. The gym might be part of it. Maybe it should be part of it. Don't know, but I'm talking about fitness. Just a, as a general rule. People who tend to stay fit in all aspects of life tend to be able to withstand the exhausting nature of all aspects of life itself. We even looked in the Bible. I mean, you do, you do own a temple, right? It's that thing you call a body. Right? I mean, the Holy Spirit does dwell there, right? So yeah, there's no getting around. There's, there's physical, emotional, and most importantly, of course, there's spiritual fitness. But what you find is that fitness is a way of life. You're fit for life itself. And that's what God has prepared you for. All right, back to our previous point up here on the board. Test the spirits. Come on. Oh, we just lost our thing. See, it's the spirits in gnarly, huh? Want to restart it? So our previous slide basically said you have to imagine this. Test the spirits. If unbelievers are inherently evil, should we buy into anything they are saying? How about the believer analog, namely someone dissipated of the spirit? What if what they say is actually true? Now, remember, I'm bringing all of this up on behalf of God, the Holy Spirit, who's trying to protect your precious souls. That's what this is about. I'm not trying to cast stones at anybody. He's trying to protect you. The objective is to get you, to get you sanctified so that you understand and abide in this attitude that life is good. And what he's saying is you're surrounded by people, uh, people and a, a, um, beings even. The angels that do not, fallen angels that don't want you to succeed are here to frustrate God's plan in your life. So again, just remember that I'm working on behalf of the, the Spirit who's trying to protect your precious souls from whatever it is in this world under the control of the God of this world, this age, that will rob you of your life is good attitude. Give me one second, folks. I'm going to get back to my slide. 
That's the one we missed, right? Yep. Okay. All right, with that said, let's read some Holy Scripture now on this topic. Go to 2 Corinthians 6, 14. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. Because I really don't want you to think that it's the bald guy telling you these things. I mean, I am, I am, but I'm speaking on behalf of him. But you need to see the Word. You need to have your own convictions, your own knowledge, your own wisdom. Did I ever tell you I love Burt's Bees? Second <laughs> Corinthians 6.14 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Okay, that's something to think about. Do not be unequally yoked. Remember the context there is back in the day, the agricultural um, analog was, you think of two oxen, right? Or, or even, you know, an ox and some other animal that's hardly even capable of pulling the same weight. You know, the ox is essentially going to, what, plow in circles? Right? You're not going to plow a straight line unless you're equally yoked. Well, if, you, if you're yoked with an unbeliever, you know what you do? You, you, you uh, what do you call it, furrow, right? You furrow a crooked line. So that's what the Bible is saying. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? How many questions does he have to actually pose until it sinks in, right? Until it sinks in. I'm not saying you can't be friendly with an unbeliever. Because how would, that ever, how would you ever evangelize somebody? How do you ever get a seat at the table? Right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, uh, spending uh, inordinate spiritual fellowship, supposedly, with someone like this. And, you know, and, and calling this a relationship that's edifying to you personally, spiritually even. And then you start taking advice from this person. You know how friendships develop. You start taking advice from this person. Next thing you know, their crooked thinking is gaining entry into your soul. And the next thing you know, you're starting to think and act differently. And the next thing you know, they've got you sort of veering off. And it might not even be intentional. They might not even know any better because they might be unsaved. They may not be... Uh, trying to do that, but that's what happens. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now here's the interesting thing. What do lazy believers do? <laughs> and we're all lazy to some degree, so I'm not casting stones. What do lazy believers do? They lie to themselves and others by proclaiming, oh, no, no, so-and-so, they're, they're totally saved. They told me they were. Uh, they even know what the gospel has to say. Um, so did a demon-possessed girl. So did a demon-possessed girl. So where does that put your logic? The test the lazy person is too lazy to employ is what we considered earlier up here on the board. Test the Spirit. Some might ask, how do I do that? Well, for starters, see if the Spirit is saying, see if what this, this Spirit is saying is appealing to your flesh or God's will. It's imperative you assess this honestly. If the answer is my flesh, then you know it cannot be from God. If this so-called believer is appealing to your flesh and that is the basis of your so-called relationship, then you can tell me what's going on. You tell me what's going on then. So they say they're a believer. You just want to skirt over the fact. You don't want to test the spirit. You don't actually want to actually press the situation because, you know, they're like appealing somehow. You know, there's like, okay, so, you know, I'm, I'm so beautiful. You know, I can hang around my beautiful unbeliever or my ugliest sin believer. I got to go out in public? I don't want to go out with the ugly person. Right? I, mean, I got a reputation to uphold here. I can't be seen with that person. 
Tonight, I'm going out with my unbeliever friend because they're good looking. I can't go out with the ugly one, even though they're the ones who would build me up and edify and talk about Christ with me the right way. Uh, isn't that easier, though? Isn't that like what people do? Um, it's, in many ways, it's, it's easier being lazy. It's also a lot more accommodating to the human flesh to simply turn a blind eye and allow an evil spirit to lie to your face. Isn't it? It's a lot more accommodating to let an, an evil spirit lie to your face and just turn a blind eye. Yeah. In many ways, yeah. God says... Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Let's continue with some more scripture on this topic. Remember, this is to protect your soul. Another error we can make is to, you know, make a little room knowingly for sin. You ever do that? I I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know what the pure thing to do is, but I'm going to make a little room. Right? I'm, gonna make a, I'm just going to make a little room, okay? I'm 90% good. Just, I just, just give me a 10%. Okay, okay, God. 95% yours, 5% mine. What does the Bible have to say about that? Go to 1 Corinthians 5, 6. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. What what does the Bible have to say about that little bit? You know, that one little friend. You know, you have ten friends and one of them is an unbeliever. Hey, nine out of ten is not bad. You know, you pull that one out on Friday nights when it's time to go to the club. Because they're good looking. If you go to the ugly believer, nobody looks at you. Right? What's the matter? You get, everybody is like, we're way too old for that, dude. Right? When's the last time I went to the club? You know the point, right? Your, your club is somewhere else, right? I don't know, maybe it's the library. That's where you go trolling. Trolling for dates, perv. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. <laughs> your boasting is not good. Listen. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Come on. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Scott likes to use his sick one. Don't you always talk about, like, toilet water or something? Of feces and water? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I did say that. Yeah, it's like every time. He's like, a little Let me give you an example. You take a, a pure thing of drinking water, you put some poop in it. Even if it's only one little bit. I'm like, Scott, enough. <laughs> fast forward. I'm at home. I'm like, fast forward. <laughs> Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? I'm just prepping you for the week to come. This is going to be scowling at you by the time you get up here. Yeah. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate. You ready? He just lays it out here. He says not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, the context here is even very close to a church setting. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy in the swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of, out of the world. Uh, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. And these are habits, by the way. These are habits. Doesn't mean you haven't fallen in one of these areas. These are someone who habitually is like that. Not even to eat with such a one. 
For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Purge them. Up here on the board. Purge from exiro means to lift up, remove, eject, to put away. To lift up, remove, eject, to put away. Any questions on what we're supposed to do with evil people in our church? Any questions? Why do we, why did, I'm curious, why do churches nowadays have such a hard time teaching this? Is it fair to say that the sexually immoral or greedy or idolatrous or the reviler or drunkard or swindler so easily appeals to our flesh? We might say, well, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, some of you like being all like hoity-toity, like, yeah, doom on them, throw them out. Well, how, does, how does someone get in that situation in the first place? Maybe tomorrow it's you. How does someone get there? Because those things are appealing to the human flesh. And while they're happening, you might be a little lazy. Maybe you're not testing the spirit. Maybe you're letting someone ingratiate themselves to you. Gaining your trust. And then the next thing you know, you're one of these people. So don't judge wrongly, judge rightly. We're not here to condemn. We do have the right, though, to, to judge rightly. So let's just agree that we tend to tolerate evil folks, uh, especially when we're, la when we're being lazy, which is why Paul would have to write a letter like this, even inside our churches. Let's continue with Holy Scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians 10. 21, 1 Corinthians 10, 21. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 10, verse 21. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. One of our most intimate celebrations, our, our times of fellowship, is to break bread together in Christ's good name. Spiritually speaking, the Corinthian pagans would sacrifice to idols. And then some of the people in the church would go uh, break bread with them that way and celebrate that thing, that abomination even, um, celebrating idols and sacrificing to idols. Well, we have a jealous God, my friends, who teaches us that you cannot sacrifice to him and demons, for they are mutually exclusive things. Let's continue with some more scripture. Some of you might be saying, you know, but in all honesty, I, I, I pray to God about this, and I ask him for guidance and strength on how to separate from unholy people in my life. I, I pray. Go to James 4.3. James 4, verse 3. What does the Bible have to say about that? James 4, verse 3. What does the Bible have to say about that person or that situation? James 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive. So that just described that person, right? Because you ask wrongly. I think if you were the NASB, it says with wrong motivation probably. Right? Yeah, you ask with the wrong motivation. To spend it on your passions. <laughs> That's why you're not actually being delivered. Because your motivations are bad. Because if your motivations are good, think about what your father does, even for the birds. If he's going to take care of them, he says, I'll take care of you. I do hear you. I hear your prayer. But I don't hear ridiculousness. I'm not going to answer your ridiculousness. So you either come to me in humility or you read this passage. Let's continue. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, with wrong motivation, 
to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enemy with God? Could there be stronger language? Friendship with the world is enmity, en, uh, enmity, excuse me, enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That dipsukos again. Thinking you can play both, si- both sides of the coin? You can't, you can't sacrifice to both the Lord and demons. You can't go to the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You have to make a choice. That's the point. Otherwise, you're double-minded. When you claim to want to possess the, this life-is-good attitude, listen, when you claim you want to possess this life-is-good attitude, but you persist in disobeying God's direct command to separate from evil people who could care less about Jesus, In other words, you refuse to test the spirits to discern this. Then what do you expect from the Lord in terms of sanctification? I'll give you James 1, 6-7, the New Living Translation up here on the board. But when you ask Him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's why some of us still suffer the way we suffer. Some of us remain in the status quo. And, and, you know, some of you say, yes, I know, I hear it. I'm the person on the other line, or I'm the person calling people. What is the problem? Why are you stuck? Dipsukas. You say one thing, but you persist in another. I would argue some of the people that aren't here this evening, this is exactly their problem. They say they want a life as good attitude, but yet they're still bound and friends with the world. In this moment, they're enemies of God if that's them, if they don't have a legitimate reason not to take God's grace on an evening like this. They're literally acting as enemies of God by disobeying His command to take His grace. Remember years ago I taught a whole series on receiving God's grace. Anyway, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. I didn't say that. That's the word of God. You got a problem with that? Take it up with the Lord. You have a problem with anything that we've seen in Scripture? Literally, it's not me. You have to take it up with the Lord. If you read it, you're liable to it. You understand? You're responsible for it. If you've seen it in Holy Scripture, you are now responsible to God for that thing. Let's press on with our main topic. Again, The main topic is test the spirits to see if they are from God. Go to 1 John 2.15. 1 John 2, verse 15. Again, all the Spirit's doing here is trying to protect you. It's all He's doing is trying to protect you. So you have to test the spirits to see if they are from God. 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know 
that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. That's talking about people leaving the church. Why? Because they were never saved in the first place. They talked a big game, but that was the end of it, you see? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Not everybody who comes to a church like this is a believer, my friends. I know, a shocker, right? A lot of people have put on a good show for years and years. And then they're like, eh, I don't really have any more faith. Yeah, well, guess what? Then you would never say, Scott will probably bring this up in eternal security. Then you were never really one of Christ. But, 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 I never knew you. Matthew 7. But, but, no, I never knew you. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. How many people have we seen leave just this congregation? It's not like we have a huge congregation. If you think back, we've been at this over 10 years now. How many people have left this congregation? And we're only a sampling of what goes on whenever sound biblical teaching is taught. The answer is a lot. And I'm not saying everyone that's left was an unbeliever. You know, it's one of those. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying my suspicion goes up when someone leaves the church like this and then goes nowhere or goes like on some weird, I don't know, cultish type thing. But when you leave sound teaching and you don't go to sound teaching, something's up, right? Something's up. Maybe you want your ears tickled. Maybe you're not really saved. Maybe you just want to play a part. Maybe you just want to do all these things. Um, but just in our little congregation, we've seen a lot of people come and go. The point is that we must be very aware of the fact that we are forever surrounded by people who may not care one iota for Jesus Christ, even though they may act the part and say all the right things, we are commanded. We're not asked. We're commanded to test the spirits. All right, so that completes our brief survey of Holy Scripture on this topic up here on the board. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And again, here's the principle, just sort of, Closing up here. <clears throat> Test the Spirit. Some might ask, how do I do that? Well, for starters, see if what the Spirit is saying is appealing to your flesh or God's will. It's imperative you assess this honestly. And if the answer is my flesh, then you know it cannot be from God. We note a second translation of 1 John 4.1 to help drive this home on uh, Sunday up here on the board. I'll share it again in the message. My dear friends, don't believe everything you hear. That's really good advice. Don't. Oh, but you're such a... Oh, you're so, uh, do not believe everything you hear. You're not even that nice. I'm just kidding. I mean, everybody's like, oh, wait a minute, what? I'm, I'm just kidding. Why is everybody... What's, what's wrong with you people? Right? You don't think you're nice, do you? Oh, sorry. Do not believe everything that you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. That's really good advice. Is it not? It's really good advice. Carefully weigh. Ah, oh, that's so much work. Now, what do you mean it's so much work? What does that even mean, so much work? It's so much work to what? Look out for your own soul? <laughs> What's more work, doing that up front or suffering hellaciously in the back end for months and months because you got burned again? What's worse? Now, we're, the, we're that instant gratification, right? We're that, we're that society. I want it. I want it now. I need a friend. I need a friend now. Right? I won't take it any further because then it gets gross. I need, and I need it now. Swipe right. That is gross. But that's where it goes. That's the natural extension. Do you understand what I'm saying? The natural extension. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. 
Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. There are a lot of lying preachers loose in this world. All right. What does this have to do? I've got about four minutes left. What does this have to do with life is good because God says so? A lot, actually. I've been trying to keep that at the top of your mind. A lot, actually. I know these are hard lessons, and I know he doesn't let you settle in that way or have your little escape clauses and little, you know, escape hatches. He doesn't allow that here. Um, it has a lot to do with life is good. We all should be thoroughly convinced at this point that life is good, right? Okay. And if there's no denying that fact, the issue is simply one of understanding, accepting, and abiding. And that's just a long-form way of saying being sanctified. As we've been learning for years from this pulpit, years from this pulpit, Humility is key. Obedience is the fruit of humility that leads to sanctification. Obedience is the fruit of humility that leads to sanctification. How, how fast can you guys read? You guys read fast this evening? A couple extra minutes, right? Look at the coffees. Yep, everybody looks pretty good. Going to get a bonus because I'm going to be leaving for a week. I'm going to leave you with a bonus. Some of you are like, no. Since we looked at Job on Sunday and how he managed to get through his satanic attacks, let's look at where the story ends before we close this evening. After his faith was rattled to the core and he questioned God's motivation and such, God said, gird your loins and remember who you're dealing with here. Uh, something we all need to remember. Go to Job 42.1 quickly. Job 42. Then Job answered the Lord. Oh, you're not there? Come on, people. Chop, chop. You knew I was going to the last chapter of Job. The only one even budged was Michael. But then out of courtesy, he didn't do it. Job 42, verse 1. This is the end of the story, right? Remember the beginning? Blameless, upright Satan just basically tortured this guy. Blew up his house, killed his kids, the whole nine yards. So Job, you know, flopped around a little bit, no, no help from his, or with all the help from his so-called good friends. And then he came back. God said, hey, listen, gird your loins. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to remind you with my own divine patience and mercy of who I am and who it is you're starting to get rocky with here. Job 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Verse 7, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz and the Tamanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Tamanite, and Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite, went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house, and they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. 
And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. That's what sanctification looks like, my friends, dying with the blessings of God all around you. Again, you want that? That sounds appealing? Humility is the key. Obedience is the fruit of humility that leads to sanctification. You want a life as good attitude? You want to abide in that? Pay attention to that. Commit that to memory. Whatever you have to do, that's what should be circulating in your heart and your soul and your mind. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this evening. We know that truth is what sets us free. Father, we're just so grateful for your grace, your mercy, and your patience with us, and most of all, your love. We ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned this evening back to the privacy of our own souls, and then our homes, and then your, your will be done out to a world that's just uh, decaying, Father. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.